Hi, welcome to The Kicker. I'm Kyle Pope, editor and publisher of the Columbia Journalism Review. This week, media coverage of the Steele dossier. So the drum beats are getting louder and louder that may force news organizations that took the Steele dossier, which was this uh, collection of allegations about Trump and Russia, took it seriously. Last week, the Washington Post announced that it was cutting some stories and amending editors' notes on stories about some of their coverage of the dossier, basically admitting that their reporting was flawed, that the source that they relied on was unreliable. Um, There are hints of more of these sort of reckonings to come. Um, And it's sort of the whole thing raises questions about the media's coverage of Trump, of Trump and Russia, and the dossier as this kind of symbol of all that was wrong there. It's super complicated. There are a lot of parties. There are a lot of legal actions. There's indictments, there's investigations, um, which is why I'm so happy to be joined today by Eric Wimple, uh, media critic for the Washington Post, and Marcy Wheeler, a writer who writes for a blog, emptywheel.net, who have both followed this in incredible detail and are gonna sort of help us sort through it all. Welcome, Eric and Marcy. I I, want to start with a question that I tried to sort of frame in a piece that CJR did this week, which was, why is it, is it your sense, it's my sense that it's taken a long time for there to be a sort of a broader media sense that, that this, that that this document is fatally flawed and, and to really start holding news organizations to account. Um, Is that your sense as well? And why do you think it's taken as long as it has. Marcy, let's start with you. I think, for one, because the issue got so polarized. So, um, you know, for Republicans, the entirety of the Russian investigation is the dossier. For normal people... As a way way to undercut it. And and as a deliberate way to undercut, there's abundant reason to believe that was the entire point of any disinformation in it. Uh, Paul Manafort came back from a meeting with uh, Oleg Deripaska deputy and told Rents Priebus, uh, we're going to undercut the Russian investigation by talking about the dossier full time. And that is exactly what has happened for four Mm -hmm. years leading up to the Durham investigation, which led up to this indictment. So that's what the Republican Party has been doing relentlessly ever since. And I think it's very unfortunate that um, that there wasn't a place in reporting except for media criticism to say not just we got the dossier wrong but and this is important because the right has not done this yet but what did the dossier really do where did it come from why was it so bad uh what was the tie between christopher Steele, who was working for oleg deripaska and paul manafort who was giving campaign information to oleg deripaska that conversation has not been done at all yet. Um, and, and I think that, you know, again, partly it's because the discussion about the dossier anywhere outside of the right has been media critics rather than hard journalism. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I, I mean, I think that's the biggest reason. Like I have followed along with the right um, and frankly ahead of the right on a lot of these issues, but I've been very alone in doing that um, among serious reporters anywhere from the center to the left. Yeah, which is why it was, I was, I'm so excited to talk to you about this. Um, 
Do you think that the, so on the right, um, it became this sort of totemic thing of like, this is, this is the way that we're going to bring down the whole, the, the, we're going to, we're going to address the whole topic. Um, what has been the role of the dossier on the left? Yeah, I mean, look, I, I think that it is undeniable that Rachel Maddow was pushing it. It is undeniable that uh, Adam Schiff got over his skis defending it. And still, I mean, his appearances in the last week where he blames it all on Danchenko lying to Steele when there's far more evidence that Steele was dishonest than that Danchenko was, it's just unlikely that the UK would ever extradite him for, for an indictment. Um, and so... I think, yeah, parts of parts of the left, the left. I mean, when I was writing critically about the dossier in 2017, I got so much pushback from people, mm-hmm. um, even though I was pointing to, to to like concrete things in the dossier that were disproven by the public record, particularly on cybersecurity. Like there's a there's a report in it that incidentally the FBI didn't get until December of 2016. It was not handed to them from Christopher Steele. And that one should have alerted everyone who read it that that something was wrong with the dossier because it made claims that were easily debunked by the public record. Um, So in 2017, I was getting really attacked when I said, you know, there are problems with the dossier. I think people just kind of dug in to defend that uh, because otherwise there was this sense that uh, the rest of the Russian investigation wasn't defensible, which of course it was. And I, I, I would um, go ahead. Just jump in there. I would also credit Marcy uh, for doing sort of a, a form of arithmetic on the dossier. That much of the dossier discussion is about how it is either hasn't disproven or it's been inaccurate, uh, so on and so forth. But uh, Marcy also, I think, was pretty aggressive and clear-eyed about what had happened actually, but wasn't in the dossier. It's a whole different level uh, of analysis that really, I think, may even provide a stronger um, debunking of the dossier. It's not just what's in there that's wrong or unproven or, or based on some already published report. It's what actually happened in the real world that Christopher Steele didn't pick up on. Uh-huh. Um, if I'm not mistaken, Marcy. Right. I mean, for example, how is it that the January 6th meeting, the June 6th meeting, sorry, that happened with with a client right. of Fusion GPS? How is it that, that there was no hint of that? In fact, the translator for those two projects overlapped between the two at Baumgunter. So how did how did Fusion not learn that Ed Baumgunter, their 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 uh, translator uh, was going into into Trump Tower and pitching um, a dirt for sanctions relief. How is it that Christopher Steele sitting in London didn't get word of this whole mess suit operation right. or get word of what Papadopoulos was doing? Papadopoulos is another big uh, omission. But anyway, Kyle, you were you were you were asking. <laughs> no, I'm just I'm just sitting back and listening to this, which is astonishing. I mean, so you know, I think I mean Marcy. Uh, Eric Marcy just said that you know that, that if you listen to Maddow, she's still going on about this. Do you, what do you think is the appetite for newsrooms now to um, to really dive into this in a in a more serious way, um, more broadly? I mean, 
I think there is a there's a sense that I've seen this week. I mean, my my theory is that there's a whole wave of hand wringing and recrimination that is that we're sort of in the middle of around this and about and some right. of it. Some of it, Eric, you're driving and people are like calling news organizations and saying, what do you have to say about this? Um, but I think that, you know, if you think about a place like the Times, which sort of had, you know, th- their view is that, well, we sort of steered clear of the dossier. This really has nothing to do with us, even though their media critic started it, sort of. Um, <laughs> um, um, what is their appetite to really dive into this in a more forceful way or somebody like them or the, or the Journal or ABC or any of these people? Well, I think, you know, there are certain, as I've tried to be careful in my own work on this, to point to uh, the places that it really bear, in my view, um, disproportionate responsibility for uh, adding, uh, sort of layering credibility on top of this uh, very bad document. Um, And my sense is that um, the golden rule of media accountability applies here, which is that news organizations don't take corrective effort unless they're is massive public pressure or some sort of legal uh, pressure, uh, some sort of lawyer letter from a very prominent firm, um, they generally don't take action. Um, And if they can just um, sort of wiggle out of it, um, you know, uh, to get to the next news cycle and hope it dies down over whatever weekend is coming, my experience is that they'll generally do that. And so I think that I think that this is a, uh, an example of that. For example, I've been pressing MSNBC and CNN, uh, particularly, and McClatchy, for years now on this. After the Horowitz report came out, uh, I, I, you know, I asked all these places, what, what are you doing? What do you think? This seems to contradict a lot of the stuff, some of it factually, some of it just in the gisty sense. And I've really gotten... I've made very little progress on that. And I was pleased to see that Axios and perhaps some other people were asking these news organizations, um, you know, similar questions about their coverage. And I think it's important to keep the pressure on that. So I'm, I'm pleased to be talking about it here with you too. Um, I, I think there's a really important point that is still being missed. After the Michael Sussman indictment came out, I pointed to a bunch of holes in it. And I said, you know, why didn't Durham provide an obvious required date? Well, the New York Times did that reporting, and what they showed is that Durham had left out a lot of very obvious exculpatory material. And the Danchenko indictment is unbelievably bad. Mm-hmm. And, and I say that, I mean, like, if, if you're going to criticize people for, for reporting on the dossier uncritically, you need to also at the same time, um, the Washington Post has already made, has already several times implied that there are multiple charges associated with Charles Dolan. That's not true, but it's understandable how if you read the, the, the indictment uh, quickly, you would assume that there was a charge associated with the P-tape. Uh, Durham does not charge anything in association with the P-tape. It is just a wild allegation that he doesn't know. It's not clear that he knows what happened. Um, it's, you know, it, it's there. It's not, he's not, he's not promising to prove it beyond a reasonable doubt. And yet it has taken on the same kind of energy in the media that the original P-tape did. I've pointed out that he literally does not cut and paste quotes from the transcripts accurately. Mm-hmm. Durham does not. And the, the craziest thing 
And this should be a news report unto itself. The craziest thing is he's not relying on Sergey Millian having sat in a grand jury. This is somebody who is under investigation as a counterintelligence target um, for good reason, still unexplained stuff, right? Was offering technical deals to Papadopoulos in the middle of the election and then seemed to be cultivating Papadopoulos after the election. It's not apparent that John Durham has made him do anything that a fact witness would normally have to do, be interviewed in the United States, uh, go before a grand jury in the United States. There may be very good reasons for that. Um, he's relying on the same Twitter allegations, claims that Sergey Millian has been making publicly for five years. So if every news organization regarded that Twitter feed as unreliable for the last five years, why is it now reliable only because John Durham has put it into an indictment in a way that's not even admissible at trial? That, well, that's insane from a legal standpoint. And that should, I think, uh, not just raise questions about what John Durham is doing and why he's relying on a Twitter feed for facts which are not admissible in, in, in court, but also why people are taking that as, as, as any more reliable than the Twitter feed has been for the last five years. It's not. Um, well, by the way, I, just as a, as a commercial, the, the piece that Marcy just mentioned about the, Durham's cutting and pasting, it, it, the piece that Marcy wrote is fantastic. And you can read it on emptywheel.net along with all of our coverage of this. But one, one point I'd, I'd make about that, I don't dispute what Marcy says about the Durham uh, indictments one bit. And, this, uh, and she's right about the Times. All those researchers who were cited in the Sussman indictment have come forth and said, you know, this is this is taken out of context. This is not true. This is not um, the import of what I was emailing and so on and so forth. So that is a significant uh, development and an important consideration. The only thing that I would add to that was would be that the news organizations that did <laughs> reports about Million uh, back in 2017 had it seems to me, uh, even less to go on uh, than Durham did. Well, look, I mean, what, what, what is behind the energy of the dossier, um, and I think that Washington Post, the, the Washington Post stories that have been corrected, right? It seems that they had two sources. One source was probably Christopher Steele adjacent. One source was probably maybe Adam Schiff adjacent. One source is standing by their story, as is the Wall, the Wall Street Journal source. Um, and then one source for the, Wall, for the Washington Post has said, we can't rely on this anymore. Um, and so I think the problem is, and it's not just the dossier that this is true of, the problem is that if you've got two sources backing, backing a document, it doesn't matter, like the, the, no one was looking and saying these cybersecurity reports are garbage. In the same way that no one is looking at, at the Durham indictments, and oh, by the way, the DOJIG report literally did not know what crime Crossfire Hurricane team was investigating until after they published the document. Same was true for Durham, by the way. The first 15 months that Durham was investigating, he believed that Carter Page was under investigation for FARA, not 951. And so there, like, I think that one of the lessons that comes out of this is that if you have a document you have to test the validity of the document itself rather than relying on the MI6 officer who put it together or the um, you know, member of Congress who is saying it's, it's gold standard. 
And that never happened with the dossier, but it's not happening with the Durham indictments and it's not happening with the DOJ IG report. It sounds to me, and it's quite clear from what you're saying, Marcy, and from reading your work, that you don't you don't hold out a lot of hope for Durham as as you know as for his final report in, in sort of moving the ball forward very much on this question. I think he'll move the ball forward. The question is whether it'll be whether it'll be accurate. I mean, again, the man didn't know what crime Crossfire Hurricane was investigating for the first fifteen months of his work, mm-hmm. um, and and I I think that there. Uh, if there is more attention on Oleg Daripaska, I think the entire thrust of what he's doing may become unsustainable. I think that that may also be true of the Alpha Bank allegations. I don't put any stock in the Alpha Bank allegations. Yeah. Um, I think I debunked that too in, in November 2016. I just think that there is a context that um, you know, I said that uh, Dantenko is going to get discovery if he brings this to trial. And one of the things he's going to be asked, he's going to be able to ask for in discovery is everything that DOJ has on, on Oleg Deripaska. And that may make this prosecution unsustainable very quickly because, um, it, you know, it may, it, again, it may raise real questions about why Bill Barr decided to have John Durham do this investigation in the first place. Erica, are you? Do you share her skepticism about Durham? I mean, it, apart from you know, there, there are the sort of there, there's the legal question, and then there's the sort of public perception and media question um, in terms of whether Durham is going to force more reckoning for news organizations that have been trafficking this, and that sort of sidestepped it. Just like the indictment sort of forced the post's hand. Would Durham could Durham have a sort of galvanizing effect for other news organizations? I know you don't know because you don't know what's in it, but what is your gut? Well, I mean, there's got to be a report that comes out within I don't know when, but uh, Durham is 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 going to issue a report uh, at some point, if I'm not mistaken, um, on that. Um, I think that will be another time to revisit all of this, and obviously, whatever happens with the prosecution. Uh, of Danchenko uh, could um, produce more material, and and there could be a rec- the sort of reckoning that Marcy's talking about about the, the you know the credibility and the integrity of these allegations in in the indictment. Well, so um, so let me let me just go back then to the media question, which is partly what we obsess about here. Um, you said earlier that you know it seemed like the game for some of these parties is just to keep kicking the ball down the road and not address it and hope it sort of goes away. Right, right. Um, is that your so, dog? Mine. Oh. <laughs> we always, it's always good to have a dog yeah. in a cast or a, or a cat. Um, Her name's Junebug. Junebug, nice. Well, yeah. welcome. Does Junebug talk like bark or anything? That's her. <laughs> okay. Um, so, but, but Eric, do you think that that ultimately, do you think that, do you think that given where we are now that, that they're going to be able to get away with that strategy on this one, or do you think the pressure is just going to continue to build and they're going to have to address it? And, and yeah, well, I, that's a really good question. As Marcy suggested here, um, there is a political tack, um, a Republican political tack about keeping the dossier in, in the public eye. Um, so as long as that <laughs> remains a very viable strategy, um, yes, there will be other flashpoints, I think. You know, obviously the prosecution, the Durham report, and who knows what Dur- if Durham may have other indictments uh, coming down the road. Other people have speculated on that. 
much more um, judiciously than I have or can. Um, but I would say that even though there is a political sort of bent to all of this, um, there is uh, an unquestionable media accountability angle here that I still think has to be straightened out. And I do think it's unfortunate for uh, CNN, MSNBC, various others, that they are going to be, you know, um, forced to reckon with this sooner or later. I, you know, all of the um, all of those caveats about the Durham indictment, notwithstanding, is pretty clear at this point from various sources, many sources, that um, you know the Steele dossier did not have this fabulous network of deep uh, cover sources, which is uh, Rachel Maddow's term for them, um, that these weren't these um, hotshot sources uh, who really knew what was going on deep inside the Russian government or the U.S. government. And um, that alone is something for a lot of media outlets to correct and to um, sort of inspect and, and, and and do, you know, their due diligence. And they haven't. I want to push back on that, though. Um, and again, I think the dossier is garbage. But I think um, one of the errors, I think, in, in the reporting on the Danchenko indictment is that Durham has set up Dolan as this big scandal, right? Um, and he has, he says, Dolan is a source for the most, uh, the most accurate report in the dossier because he stole it from the press. He says that Dolan is in some way responsible for another report, which appears to have been accurate until Chris Steele got to it, uh, based on some movements within um, within the um, the embassy in the United States. He had direct access to Dmitry Peskov. He had access to a bunch of other people. Durham has turned Dolan's involvement into this, you know, Hillary, Hillary, Hillary. With with no evidence of, I mean, with with little little credible evidence of it. Um, but if in fact the dossier is full of disinformation, which is what every Republican in Congress believes, and what I think is is largely the case, then the question is not what was the access. The question was why did Oleg Deripaska learn about it, as the DOGIG report suggests happened. Why did he learn about it? before the second report? Why did mm-hmm. two Russian intelligence uh, people learn about it before the, before the second report? And why did the stories that get told get told? So yes, there's the absence of you know, Papadopoulos in London, but the, the stories of Michael Cohen in Prague, which are the, 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 the most easily debunked, do our near misses on things that were really happening in the Russian operation. Um, Michael Cohen was, in fact, covering up stuff about Russia at the time. He was covering up the Trump Tower deal. Michael Cohen was also covering up stuff having to do with sex at the time. You put those two together and you've got you've got the Prague thing. Um, that's a pretty near miss. Uh, Is it so the, the allegation in the dossier was that he was meeting with Kremlin representatives, as I recall, to... Um, and he called up the Kremlin well, well, right. and got but, Putin's involvement but, in the Trump Tower deal. But but he met in Prague to cover up or sort of figure out how to pay hackers, if I recall the allegation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, 
I, I don't know. I, I don't see that as that being that close to what Michael Cohen actually did. But you, we can disagree. Right, right. But, do, but do you deny that Michael Cohen is covering up stuff about Russia that involved actually the Kremlin? Well, it's clear that he, he was involved in keeping quiet the Trump Tower. Uh, okay, secret. which involved the Kremlin and involved the GRU officer. Unquestionably, no question. Okay, okay. Just, so that's my point. Just, Russia just, knew that. Russia knew that when Trump made a statement in July of 2016 that he had no business in Russia, which, by the way, Durham is reacting against. He's, he's trying to claim that it was unreasonable for cybersecurity researchers to respond to that and say that's very alarming, which it was very alarming. Uh, as, soon as, as soon as Trump made that comment in July 2016, and he had made it a bunch of times before that, Russia knew that Michael Cohen and Donald Trump and a number of other people were were lying publicly about this right, ridiculously right. lucrative deal that involved the Kremlin and involved a GRU officer. And so, uh, so, so the the Prague story is absolutely garbage, right? The right. Prague story, and that came from Olga Galkina, right? It but did. I think it, was, it is important. It was a middle school friend of Danchenko, right? And she's she's central to the Danchenko indictment, and one of the things that uh, Durham charges. Danchenko with is trying to hide how obvious how much Galkina knew about that. Um, and he didn't hide it at all. I mean, I think that that's completely that allegation is completely easily debunked if you actually mm -hmm. read the, the interview. But my point is that, in fact, Michael Cohen was covering up communications with the Kremlin and with the GRU officer. And Russia knew that. And if those uh, if those Michael Cohen reports, which by January 2017, the FBI believed to be disinformation. So if those were disinformation, why did we get that form of disinformation when, in fact, Michael Cohen? And if you read if you read Danchenko, right, uh, Galkina knew right away Mike, Michael Cohen's name. She she was ready for it. And she's like, here's what right, happened with it. Right, right, so, right. so those questions, you know, if you want to talk about media accountability, those questions have to be asked as well. Why was the disinformation so neat? Why was it, um, you know, if you think about it, like, Car uh, again, um, Carter Page was discussed at the Kremlin. They knew he was coming and they said, well, you know, we've got other people we're trying to recruit. That's, that's a fact. Um, so why was it that all of this stuff was out there about Carter Page? In fact, Danchenko is going to show at trial, if they ever gets to trial, that there was corroboration for that part of it. Um, because what about the Carter Page? Yeah, because that's right. what Mueller's witnesses were saying that the you know that the that the allegation that he met with Sechin was floating around Moscow, and there were people who didn't you know even the people who had arranged his travel couldn't account for all of his time there. So the Carter Page story actually isn't as neat as it, and that's why but that's they, why Mueller said it was. But, but 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 my point is like if you're Russia and you're feeding disinformation to somebody that you're trying to undercut. Uh, and you know that Konstantin Polimnik is going to get on a plane and get the campaign strategy and get a commitment to carve up Ukraine. If you know that, then why are you saying that Carter Page is Paul Manafort's go-between with Russia? The, the answer is obvious. And that story has yet to be told. And so if we're going to talk about the accountability of the press, I think we need to say that is that is part of the story that that also needs to be unpacked. Well, my mind is blown by the depth of both of your knowledge of this stuff. And to, to our point, like, um, 
this is what this is what all you know any news organization involved with this is going to have to like get to understand these issues but um i have a feeling we could talk about this for another couple of hours maybe i should just leave you guys on the phone to um the four hours you were threatening yeah. us with thank you so much for coming on i really appreciate it thank you again you can read marcy's work at emptywill.net and Eric at the Washington Post. Eric's got a great um, sort of uh, log of all of his pieces about the dossier that is a, um, is a terrific place to get up to speed if you're not there already. You can follow CGR's coverage of the media fallout of all of this at CGR.org, on our daily email newsletter, The Media Today, and on Twitter and Facebook. Thanks for listening. See you next week.